Greetings, friends. It's another week of the podcast, A Brave Writer's Life in Brief. Whose life in brief will we examine today? Yours, but also mine. You see, you and I both perform the same role in our families, and that's what today's episode is all about. English speakers have taken a common noun and turned it into a verb, which transformed the honor of the noun into an activity that is a daily source of anxiety and stress. At least, that's how it feels to me. Stay tuned. Here we go. Let's get right into it. For those who are new to this podcast, I'm Julie Bogart. I'm the creator of the innovative writing program called Brave Writer, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And I'm the founder of our online homeschooling community called the Homeschool Alliance. Several weeks ago, I had voice surgery. I use it a lot. And my vocal cord problems go all the way back to musical theater days of high school. Today is my first day back recording for a podcast. So if you notice any variation in how I sound, or you notice me pausing or catching my breath, now you'll know why. I'm feeling good for those of you who've asked. And my doctor says that I'm all set to broadcast again. So let's jump in and see how we do. Each week of this season of the podcast, my goal is to give you a chance to pause, to consider ways to improve the experience of learning in your home, in your family. I'm answering questions you've sent to me via Instagram, email, and through our customer help desk. One theme is clear as I glance through the list of growing topics, and that theme is parenting. You want to know how to get your kids to cooperate with the plan, or maybe with your lack of plan. Uh, You want to prepare your kids for the future, even when they don't seem to imagine life past age 15. Some of you want to know how to help your kids fall in love with learning, or you want to do it without provoking resistance and anger, or boredom and lethargy. So often, we believe that the issue we are facing in our homeschools is about learning itself or the subject area, like math, writing, or science. But what I've noticed is that we are facing something more universal in nature. Even parents of kids who attend traditional schools struggle to get their children to finish homework or to care about their grades or to feed the dog or to brush their teeth or to make their beds. Effective parenting, that's the skill we want to gain. But I have to ask myself, what is parenting? It's one of those words we know so well, we think we know what it means. Parenting has been presented to us in many ways. The strict disciplinarian, the tiger mom who can get her child to Carnegie Hall by the strength of the mother's will, the amiable coach, the best buddy, the bonded, attached mother or father, the wise adult leader or guide. The term itself is problematic in my opinion. Parenting as a verb implies doing something to our kids. We parent them turning that noun into a verb with an object of its action. And that would be our unwitting children, right? I am a parent. 
But the question I want us to consider is, do we do that action called parenting? Do I do an action that can be described as parenting? Parenting is different from the other relationships we have in our lives because it implies this enormous responsibility. Not only am I charged with the two primary duties related to raising children, which are keep them busy and keep them alive, (laughs) I'm also expected to civilize those little beasts, right? To show them the ropes of how to behave in groups, as friends, and eventually as students. So we want our kids to grow up to be self-sufficient, kind, brave adults, And we feel morally clear about that priority and we are justified in the actions we take that require our kids to cooperate with our goals. That's how we see parenting. It's a duty to perform on behalf of our children. But now let's flip it around for a moment because I'm sure most of you are agreeing, yep, that's parenting, helping our kids get where they're supposed to go and doing it out of love right? That's what we want. But how does a child experience all this parenting? Let's ask ourselves that question, since presumably most of us still have at least one parent alive, still living. And you know, some of you listening right now have four. If divorce and step-parents got added to that mix as a child and even as an adult child, when I think of someone parenting me, I bristle a little. Does that happen for you? You're like, ah, I don't really want to be parented. You know how your older parents will want to advise the adult you about how to file your taxes or buying a house or breast versus bottle feeding or what you need to do to prepare for retirement or even how to hang a painting in your living room. When they give you that unsolicited parental advice. Yeah. How much do you like that? And why is it once you're an adult, you feel even freer to dislike it? I remember a couple of weeks ago when I was recovering from this vocal cord surgery I mentioned at the top of the program, and I was just starting to use my voice again. I had some friends over to watch football. And each time I spoke or commented on a play, my friend's husband interrupted me to say, wait, should you be talking? Or don't overdo it, Julie. Haven't you already used your five minutes this hour? After several comments like this, I finally just blurted out, stop managing me. I wanted to shout at him, hey, I'm an adult. I know my doctor's orders. I know what happened with my voice. I can decide for myself how much I'm going to use it. Now, when I yelled, stop managing me, the rest of the room chimed in to support who? Him. (laughs) They were like, oh, Julie, he's just worried about you. But interestingly enough, their worry about me did not feel like friendship. I was mildly annoyed. He thought he was being supportive. But I thought he was being a nudge. I didn't want to be managed. No amount of goodwill or realizing that my friend had my best interests at heart neutralized my feelings of offense. 
the feeling of being managed is unbearable for most of us. In fact, the only time I can think of that I am actually glad to be managed is when I'm ironically recovering from surgery in a hospital. At that point, I'm so invalid, so dependent on experts to literally keep me alive that I yield to their instruction, their directives, their hypervigilance, and I'm not offended by it. Short of nearly dying, however, (laughs) I do consider myself capable of a great many things. And I would just rather ask for help than having it thrust on me, you know, for my own good. Like, I can decide when to change lanes when I drive. I don't need a husband to tell me. I can decide when to wash the dinner dishes based on my own schedule. I don't need a sister-in-law to drop by and do them for me out of some pretense of help when really what she's demonstrating is pity or thinly veiled judgments. The greatest feeling of all is to know that you have the resources you need for yourself so that you can execute the tasks you care to complete. If you need help, don't you want it on your terms? I know I do, if possible. I like having someone spot me while I'm weightlifting. Their spotting is meant to support me so that I can lift more weight that I want to lift. I loved learning to quilt with a friend who was an expert quilter. She was an endless supply of tips and tricks, and that helped me improve quickly. Those two experiences are vastly different, however, from visiting your uncle at some holiday event, and then he unsolicited starts in on how you need to invest X number of dollars each month in order to hit some mythical target retirement dollar amount by age 65. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like standing in line at the buffet, you're putting mashed potatoes on your plate, and he's like, How's your 401k? You know, what's it looking like for retirement? And you're thinking, dude, I have a retirement plan. And in fact, I make more money than you do. And why are you suddenly an expert on my life and how to invest just because I'm 30 years younger than you? Those are the thoughts I have. Maybe you aren't so (laughs) defensive. But even if his advice is good, I don't like feeling managed by someone who believes they have a superior point of view or even more experience. I would much rather feel like I could turn to him and get help. Like, what if he said to me, hey, you know, I've spent some time looking over my own finances and I'm at that point of retirement. And it occurred to me, you're young, you're in your 30s. If you're ever interested in knowing about how to prepare, I'd love to be a resource to you. That feels completely different to me than that unsolicited parenting style advice. And that's how I feel as a full-grown adult. We resist being told how to live, and that resistance starts, I think, at a pretty young age. I was noticing I have a brand new granddaughter named Lavender, and I was thinking about her while I was recording this. She is three weeks old and is tongue-tied so is currently being bottle-fed with pumped breast milk until they can do the little surgery this coming week. And the other day, Noah was feeding her, 
And I watched her literally refuse to close her mouth around the nipple of the bottle once she felt full of milk. Even though supposedly by the scale and all the measuring, she was supposed to drink two more ounces. It actually cracked me up. She simply stopped closing her lips around the nipple and nothing Noah could do would entice her to drink even another drop, let alone a full ounce. And we both started laughing because there's only so much cheek tickling and moving the nipple around and burping you can do. If she's not going to eat, she's not going to eat. And so anyway, it just made me think about our need for self-determination. It's one of those essential building blocks of our eventual autonomy as adults. And interestingly, your children, my children, are practicing self-determination and self-sufficiency every day of their lives. (laughs) I want you to just pause and think about that for a minute. Every single day, your kids, your teens, are practicing self-determination and self-sufficiency. Do we call it that? (laughs) Or do we call it laziness or hyperactivity or tantrums? A lot of times, how kids show up is advocacy for themselves, but it looks like misbehavior to us. Does that change at all how you see your recalcitrant child? When a child says to you, I don't need math, I'm never going to use it. That's actually a declaration of independence. That's don't give me retirement investment advice over mashed potatoes. Your child is saying to you, you mother can't tell me I need math. I have yet to discover its value in my life. Stop managing me. The concept of parenting, however, gives us tacit permission inside ourselves to override that child's declaration of independence. You know what I'm saying? We say to ourselves, I am making you do math for your own good. I know better than you do about what you need. Once you assert your parental authority in that way, You start down the parenting path, parental insistence, followed by child's resistance. See what I mean? Parenting the verb turns our role of parent into an act that is easily resented. Let me just say that again. Parenting the verb turns our role of parent, the noun, into an act that is easily resented. So what can be done? There are items on your raise your kids to adulthood list that we expect to impart to our kids and that we hope will be received with the love, goodwill, and kindness with which they were offered. We hope our kids will be open-hearted to us, which actually reminds me of an experience I had a couple decades ago. So let me backtrack and tell you a little story. In the late 1990s, I lived in California. A friend of mine asked me to help her teach her kids to write. She was feeling all of that parental pressure to ensure that her children would be competent writers so they'd get into college, right? That's always our justification for everything. (laughs) Her thought process went something like this. 
is this a good curriculum? Is this program teaching writing the right way? Her thought process was not, what value does writing have in my child's life today? How is my child already connected to writing? What can I do to help my child see writing as valuable enough to learn to do it well? See what I'm saying? When we're in parenting mode, the questions we ask have to do with how to get our kids to do what they don't want to do or what they don't know how to do or aren't good at yet. We are the experts and they are the novices or the novitiates. But what is an alternate way of seeing my relationship to my children? A different term that avoids the pitfalls of that term parenting. So I thought about a whole bunch. Guiding, supporting, escorting, steering, leading, nurturing, helping, coaching, modeling, exploring, accompanying. There are so many ideas available to us if we resist using the loaded term parenting. So if we thought about writing, how is it different to shop for a curriculum if your goal is to nurture your child or to coach them or to accompany them? Let's say I thought of myself not as parenting my child, but accompanying my child. Would a program that just gave a set of instructions that you handed them and they sat down at the table to do alone, would that be the best program? Because what a parent is saying is I can enforce my child's cooperation with those sets of instructions. That's me parenting my child into writing. But what if we use different language like supporting, escorting, steering, leading, nurturing, accompanying? coaching. Wouldn't we want a program or want guidance from a program for how to establish that dynamic in a healthy, friendly, kind way? And it's not just writing. It's true for math. That's true for learning to read. That's true for exploring the big, beautiful mysteries of the universe. There are so many ways to lead our children that Avoid the pitfalls of that word parenting. Now, back when I wrote The Writer's Jungle, which was in 1999, I ran into this brick wall of parenting as the chief writing instruction methodology. I had been asked by a pretty well-known curriculum company for homeschoolers to write a writing manual for them. And when I began, I started with the question, what is a paragraph? Within two of my own paragraphs, not only was I bored, but I realized that all the information I was writing felt false. It just felt like a rehash of everything that was out there that was already failing to support parents who wanted to teach writing. And so I just turned inward and I shifted my gaze away from what it feels like to be a responsible parent trying to get a kid to write a paragraph. And I put myself behind the eyes of a child. And I asked, what is the issue for a child? And I realized immediately, there are no children saying, how do I write a paragraph? They need to be interested in writing before the notion of paragraphing even becomes relevant. 
So often we say things like, you need to learn fractions because someday you'll do algebra and you need algebra because someday you'll go to college. Your children have not even asked the question yet that would lead them to be curious about fractions, let alone at age eight to be concerned about going to college at age 18. When we start from a parental or parenting point of view, we're looking at the other end of childhood, getting them ready for something they can't imagine yet. But if we use these other words, guiding, supporting, encouraging, accompanying, leading, steering, what we're doing is we are joining the child where they are today and creating an opportunity for that child to make the notion we want to give them relevant. We do it for potty training. We do it for tying shoes. We don't just say you need to be potty trained so you can go to college and use a toilet. It has to be relevant right now. So the issue for a child around a subject like writing isn't how to write a paragraph Here's good instructions. The issue is, why is writing powerful? Or what can writing do for me? I knew that children already spoke naturally in paragraphs. I had children. By age five, they are fluent native speakers of English or whatever language you raise them in. And their thoughts spill out with surprising clarity and cogence, even if sometimes they're a little long-winded or they get a little more detailed than the adults in me or you have time for. What they don't know is that writing can be a tool that serves them and their aims for their own lives. So I began again writing this book, which eventually I self-published. I realized quickly that what parents needed was a different vision of the parent-child relationship when learning to write. We don't parent a child into being a writer. We don't. We can provide guidance, support, modeling, and affirmation. But the writer lives inside the child. We don't get it out through a big set of instructions. We have to start by valuing a child's natural right to self-expression more than our compulsion to create a college-ready writer. When we shift from seeing writing as something a child has to do to seeing it as a tool to express the marvel that is our child, our demeanor shifts and our kids notice and they are much more willing to rise to the occasion to express more, to hear your tips and tricks, to be invested with you in this thing they want to create. I want to talk to you for a minute about a brand new project of mine. One of the missions of Brave Writer is to provide parents with the training they need to be effective at their homeschool task. I really miss the days of Periscope, that live broadcasting, live streaming app that used to be on our phones. I got to broadcast every single day, almost like a radio show, only better because you all interacted with me. It was an opportunity for us to chat about all the things, your children, homeschooling, parenting, 
how to be an awesome adult. Unfortunately for me, and maybe for you, my voice can no longer sustain that kind of daily performance communication. However, I realized there's nothing wrong with my hands. And as I thought about how I missed that personal contact with you, I realized that I could send you a weekly email newsletter that was essentially designed just to share marketing free or marketing light, you know, just about the ideas that we care about, like the themes we talk about on the podcast. And so I asked my team to help me launch this weekly love letter, really is what it is. And I called it Tea with Julie. Every Saturday morning, a short essay on a topic near and dear to my heart will pop into your email inbox. It's to be paired with your favorite hot drink and maybe your pink fuzzy slippers. You can read, sit, ponder, relax, and that's it. No pressure to do anything but read and enjoy. We're going to focus on various themes. And then what I'll do is send you one email a week over a four or five week period that deals with that theme. So we began with writing, obviously, Brave Writer. Our second theme is parenting. We'll deal with things like marriage, sibling dynamics, certain school subjects, ideas for how to be a healthier, happier adult. You can look forward to all of that for free if you sign up to receive the email. Now, you need to know this. Even if you already receive Brave Writer marketing emails, you have to opt in specifically to this email newsletter. We're keeping this group completely separate from all the marketing emails. We have about 5,000 members or signups already in the middle of February, so you're in good company. It's all free. It comes every week. So here's how you can take advantage of this offer. Go to bravewriter.com forward slash T, T-E-A. That's bravewriter.com forward slash T. Tea with Julie is a weekly newsletter meant to support and encourage you. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. You can always hit reply and I will get to see what you have to say about the content. Can't wait. So now let's get back to the podcast. So let me make it a little clearer. When you want a child to become a writer, the place to begin is to value your child's authentic voice. That means jotting down the things your child says naturally while that child is most interested in his or her thoughts. It means reading these words back to an interested audience so that the child can see that the act of writing preserves their amazing thoughts and allows others to enjoy them later and forever. The question we asked, what value is writing to my child? It's that. It's that the thoughts they have are precious enough to preserve and share with others. And we do that through this act called transcription or writing. Writing is transcription. It's not anything in and of itself. The communication of a mind to an audience is what writing is meant to capture. 
just knowing how to spell and punctuate is nothing without content. In our online class that we call the Writer's Jungle Online, that's what we're doing. We're helping parents discover the difference between parenting a child into learning how to write versus supporting the naturally emerging writer through guidance, kind feedback, and help. In other words, when I started looking differently at the parent-child dynamic, I could see immediately how the instruction of writing would benefit. And that's the funniest thing of all. This is a parent-child dynamic. It's not about a trick for making writing more accessible to the child. It's literally about reconstructing how you and your child engage over learning. As a parent, you are already your child's biggest fan. And it's that enthusiasm for your child's innate self-determination. Remember how we talked about that, that self-advocacy? You know, how thrilled you are when the baby rolls over or your toddler toddles or your preschooler speaks or your eight-year-old rides a bike. It's that thrill over your child's self-determination that leads you to your best relationship with that child now and as that youngster grows into adulthood. The greatest gift you can give your children as a parent then is the faith that they are growing right on schedule that they can get the resources they need to grow in the ways appropriate to who they are today and that you are on their team. They aren't on yours. Do you feel that shift? This isn't about how do I get my child to agree with my goals and be on my team to accomplish them. This is how can I be on my child's team and give them the opportunity to grow so that all the tools and resources I know are available are meaningful to my child. What's funny is that the Writer's Jungle, that manual I was writing and the corresponding online class, they are tools parents use to help them discover how to do this in their writing relationship. But here's what we hear back all the time, that the skills parents learned in that class or reading that manual help them with, well, everything, all the subjects, like how to teach math or how to drive a car or what to do about a child who has lost her love of ballet. Because once you recognize that the growth in your relationship isn't about parenting, it's about guiding, coaching, encouraging, exploring, supporting, helping. Once you realize all that, it changes all the ways you interact with your kids about everything. And again and again, we have found that parents discover that when they stop parenting and instead align with their children, valuing them, guiding them, supporting them, helping them, they do see real progress in those subjects. So I thought I'd share the principles we use in Brave Writer, but I'm going to take a sip of tea. And if you have a cup, maybe you can too. So here we go. Mm, that feels much better. All right, let's see if we can power through to the end. Thank you. I thought I'd share the principles we use in Brave Writer here in this podcast to help you shift out of parenting mode and become instead 
the parent you wanted to be, the one you wish you had or perhaps are lucky enough to still have. So number one, value what your child values. Value their thoughts, opinions, passions, current skills, not focusing on what they don't know yet, but what they are already good at, ideas, their wishes, hopes, dreams, fantasies, and their adorable, quirky senses of humor. Tangibly value these by writing them down, by discussing them, by bringing them up spontaneously to discuss or try. Demonstrate that you care and are interested by participating, by showing interest during the off hours, not just during what you call the school time of day. So number one is value what your child values. Number two, provide the corresponding support to the presenting need. The biggest problem with parenting is over-parenting. We tend to swoop in and do too much for the child or conversely, we insist on the child doing too much. Over-parenting is this belief that they need you to fix things or that you can insist stronger and harder that they need to do the thing. If a child has a need, your role is to offer as much support as enables the child to do as much on their own as possible. For instance, with a baby, you support the little wobbly head until that baby can hold it up for herself. With a toddler, you hold the new walker's hand until he runs away from you, right? You don't go back to making him hold your hand all the time. Conversely, you don't just see him start to wobble and you let go and say, well, you don't need me anymore. There's a balance between those two strategies. For a new writer, you are going to jot down the brilliant thoughts that are too difficult for your child to spell. For a more seasoned writer, you offer conversation about the complex ideas and you offer your editorial eye for typos. Do not be distracted by what you think the outcome should be at this child's stage of growth. Focus on what creates the greatest chance for the child to feel impressed with him or herself. I'm going to say that one again. Focus not on what will impress you, but on what creates the greatest chance for your child to feel impressed with him or herself. The goal, in other words, isn't for you to set a goal and then your child hits it and now you're proud of your child. It's that your child feels the worth that comes from a personally valuable achievement. That's the focus. And the way to get there is that number two principle. Provide the corresponding support to the presenting need. Number three, write eight pieces of writing, revise one. In our online class, In the Writer's Jungle, we talk about the importance of having a lot of practice, but only revising one piece out of all that practice. In all areas of life, it's worth it to not expect perfection on attempts. Take a note here from the Netflix series, Cheer. I don't know about you, but I got obsessed with it. They prepare 
Monica talks about preparation all the time. Lots of practice, one performance. Not everything you do is a performance. Not every worksheet, not every copywork page, not every book read aloud. These are not performances. They are practice. When we teach writing, we recommend lots of free writing, putting pen to paper with no expectation of accuracy. The more times you try, the greater your self-instruction becomes. That means the same thing is true for your kids. The more times they free write, the greater their self-instruction becomes. A child learns by doing, not by lecture and especially not by criticism. Yes, pointing out a tip or trick is what coaches offer. And those tips and tricks are so helpful, but they will not be heard if the context feels like harsh criticism. Expecting perfect execution on all attempts leads to paralysis and resentment and very little growth, if any. So the third principle is to practice a lot and then polish or perform once. And the last principle that is taken from how we teach parents to become collaborators in learning in our Writer's Jungle Online classes, number four is work hard, take breaks. In our classes, you will deep dive with your children for three to six weeks and then take time off. This is by design. Our brains need space to consolidate what was taught and learned. We need to re-up energy to tackle new thinking again. The same is true in sports, and you already know that. Sports are rarely year-round because athletes need downtime to rest, to train, to prepare, and then perform. Practice, performance, rest. The same is true learning to tie shoes. Your eight-year-old can tie her shoes when she concentrates, but in a hurry, she throws on clogs or flip-flops until shoe tying becomes so automatic, she can do it in a snap. A new walker can walk around the house, but at Disneyland, you put him back in the stroller. The point is this, as you are growing in a skill, performance is not the most common feature of the learning process. It is an outcome that comes once in a while after loads of preparation and loads of practice and loads of errors, failures, mistakes, and figuring out the tips and tricks that help you to be successful. So let me review. Number one was value what your child values. Number two, provide the corresponding support to the presenting need. Number three, write eight pieces of writing only revise one. Number four, work hard, take breaks. These are the principles that we use in our classes to help parents move out of parenting mode and into that collaborator, guide, encourager, companion mode. Parenting isn't a thing. Being a parent is. You want to be the kind of parent who offers the companionship and expertise that enables a child to be self-determining. We want our children to feel that they have meaningful control over their lives and that their skill development isn't a performance for you, but a milestone of achievement that they value. 
Just because they are young doesn't mean they don't also have an inward cry of stop managing me. I want to read that one sentence again because I think this is, you know, the drop the mic quote of the whole podcast. We want our children to feel that they have meaningful control over their lives and that their skill development isn't a performance for you, but a milestone of achievement they value. If you want to see all of this in action, we do it every day in our online writing classes and they give parents like you this exact experience. We model it for you. Our instructors are all home educators like you or they were home educated as students and they are professional published writers. The Writer's Jungle Online is our most popular class by far. Thousands of parents and families over the last 20 years have discovered how to be allies to their children in the writing process. In six weeks, we show you how to help your child value writing, not just get good at doing it. So if these skills about parenting are new to you, learning how to come alongside a child as a guide and a companion, I do shamelessly and highly recommend taking the Writer's Jungle online class. I'm not trying to turn this podcast into an ad, but you would be amazed at how few people understand the goals of what Brave Writer does. You can check out bravewriter.com slash T-W-J-O, the Writer's Jungle Online, T-W-J-O, for all the upcoming sessions of that class. We offer it year-round. It's six weeks in length. And so no matter when you are listening to this episode, there will always be a session available just right for you and your family. And what's interesting is the other day, my Brave Writer team was asking me if Brave Writer had a mission statement. Isn't that funny? We're 20 years in. I have a full staff. And they didn't know if we actually had a mission statement. And the thing is, I actually don't really like mission statements. So often when I read them, they seem aspirational and vague. And a lot of times really flowery, like all this, you know, we embody uh, the social, da, 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 da. you know, it's just, it feels, it feels unrelated to the day-to-day practices. But I thought about our goals in Brave Writer and what I set out to do all the way back in 1997. And I've really had the same mission for all these years. And here's what it is. The transformation of the parent-child relationship through writing instruction and home education coaching. In other words, it's a writing company, but it's a weird writing company. Our goal isn't college-ready students, even though that's absolutely one of our accomplishments with your kids. We take them from not reading and writing all the way to college prep. But our goal is a little bit more behind the scenes than that. We want you to like each other at the end of this journey that you're taking as home educator and child. And we want the writing life to be something your child values and will use for a lifetime. We don't have to sacrifice the warmth and camaraderie of the parent-child relationship on the altar of education. It is possible to have both. If you want help getting there, that is what Brave Writers all about. Whether you take an essay class with your older child or you sign up for the Writer's Jungle online or you join us in our homeschool coaching community, the Homeschool Alliance, everything we do 
is organized around the principle that you as a parent don't have to use the tool called parenting to achieve the goals you have in your family on behalf of your child. There is another way. It's this coaching, companionship, exploration, guide, helper, support that gets you there. And what's lovely about it is when they finally leave at the end of high school or college and they move off into their own lives, they want to come home. They solicit your advice. They are interested in sharing with you their achievements because they know that you're on their team. You're not requiring them to be on your team. Thanks for joining me today on this inaugural podcast of My New Voice. Uh, This is the longest I've spoken straight without a break. And so I'm definitely going to be eating Manuka honey and drinking my hot tea to recover. Thank you for putting up with the occasional voice crack or the lack of range. All of that should come back over the next several months, but I didn't want to wait. I really wanted to continue keeping this podcast going. If you would review the podcast by going to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen, that would mean a lot to me. That's a way that you can say back to me that what we do, that we share with you for free is valuable. And if you have any other topics you'd like me to address, please reach out to me at Instagram, Julie Brave Writer, or Twitter, at Brave Writer, or you can email us, help at bravewriter.com. Thank you so much for listening today. I want to thank our amazing podcasting partners at Crate Media. Thank you, Hayden, for always turning my podcast into amazing sound experiences, and to Ben for organizing our show notes. I'd also like to thank Jeanette for mastering how to put a podcast on a blog, how to include our transcripts, and making this such an easy experience for all of our listeners. So until next time, keep going. I'm rooting for you. This has been Julie Bogart from Brave Writer.